it's Sunday morning. I'm trying to explain what I've studied about the Bible to you over the last 63 years. I've been studying. I started studying the Bible when I was 17. I'm 80 now. I started studying about 63 years ago when I was 17. I'd hear my father preach, and he would read five or six or seven verses, usually the same ones every sermon. And then he would quote the same ones and then tell stories. I'm not trying to say this to put my father down. If that's what you hear in church, you're hearing the wrong thing. So I began to pray, Lord, help me to find out the truth. I heard the first scholar I ever heard was Dr. Roy Kemp. He came to our church and preached. And I thought, gosh, there's so much more just spilling out information out of his mouth. So I said, I have to learn that. That was 63 years ago. And I've learned that the way you study the Bible, there's various ways to study it. You have to learn the timeline of the Bible, that you start with Adam, you go down through his lineage in Genesis, the fifth chapter, and you go on down, and you can resume his lineage in Genesis, the eleventh chapter. And then you get on down there. In between the fifth and the eleventh chapter is the flood. And then that goes from the sixth chapter to the ninth chapter where they land on Mount Ararat. And then you get on down here to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And Joseph, these are called the patriarchs. And then Joseph ends up in Egypt. And then you end up uh, 400 years in Egypt. And you end up, uh, and they come out of Egypt in 40 years in the wilderness. And then right before the 40 years, Moses goes up on the mountain and right at the beginning of the 40 years in the wilderness, goes up on the mountain and gets the law and tells Moses, you tell Moses is the lawgiver. He's the one that goes up there and gets it from God. Tell Moses, you tell Israel when they come into the land that I gave to Abraham, I gave to Abraham back here that if they go after other gods, I'll send four judgments. Four judgments, the sword, the famine, the pestilence. I'll send that over and over again. And if they don't repent, I'll send the beast to carry them away into captivity. That's where they were until May 14th, 1948. That's about as simple as I can make the history of Israel, 1948. And they came back as one nation then. And all the prophets that prophesied through here while they were in the land, they were prophesying against Israel going after all these other gods uh, while they were a kingdom under kings from uh, Saul to Zedekiah, and you'll find that in the book of the Kings. Kings, and the books of the Kings was First and Second Samuel. Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. 
and what they did during that time period during, this is very important right there what they did caused them to be carried away through all the various people that ruled them with a rod of iron and they were unrepentant they have never repented what they did when they were going after these gods they went after Baal and the grove and all the generic names for Baal Hercules and Venus was the grove and Venus and they had many other names Shemosh and Molech and Venus and Aphrodite would these are all female deities these were male deities the male deities were represented by the fire and the female deities were represented by the tree or by the moon moon was the queen of heaven and that's who the Mary of Roman Catholicism is is the queen of heaven we know the moon is the queen of heaven because she was the secondary light in Genesis the first chapter now what I'm talking about you got to get this you got to get this timeline down that is the timeline that goes from one end of the Bible to the other uh, I'm talking about during that time period while the prophets are talking you got to know where the prophets are residing Jeremiah was the last prophet in Israel prophesying against Israel for their apostasy and their idolatry going after these gods down here Jeremiah preached for 40 years for 40 years and Jeremiah stayed in the land of Israel when they were carried away they were carried away uh, by the Babylonians and the Assyrians Assyria was was northern Babylon is what it was and the ba- and Babylon Babylon was what we call Iraq Iraq and then Babylon was overthrown by uh, by the Persians and Persia was what we call Iran Iran Afghanistan I'll just put AF uh, Pakistan I'll just put Pak and all those stands over there this was Persia over here Tajikistan, all the way over to India here's New Delhi India so all of this was Persia Iraq was Babylon and and Babylon was on the Euphrates River right here right about there here's the Euphrates coming down emptying into the Persian Gulf well uh, Babylon her headquarters was on the Euphrates and it was about 650 miles away from Israel and that's God had God had to go all the way down there to carry these people away well I'm talking about one of these prophets that was carried off into Babylon Ezekiel Ezekiel was over here in Babylon when he wrote his book when he wrote his book the book of Ezekiel Jeremiah is over in Israel he was given the when Nebuchadnezzar came over that was the commanding general of Nebuchadnezzar 
Nebuchadnezzar has said, take good care of this Jeremiah. He was an honest man. He tried to warn those people that I was coming. They've not only turned against their God, they've turned against me. I was their protector. So he said, protect Jeremiah. So Nebuchadnezzar goes over. While they're overthrowing Babylon in 586 B.C., that is a very important date. This is the last, that's the end of the Jews as a nation in the Old Testament. It's the end. It's over. All the prophets that prophesy after that are prophesying against what Israel had done. And you got Daniel over here in Babylon. Daniel prayed his great prayer in Daniel 9. Lord, how long are we going to be in this captivity? Ezekiel is prophesying. He's a very interesting guy. Ezekiel is, God is taking Ezekiel up in visions and taking him over to Israel in visions, showing him how that they are turning against God and what God is going to do to them. Well, we have gotten, we went through part of the destruction. If you want to see the destruction of Israel, you read that first chapter of Ezekiel, but you really, it's really difficult to understand if you don't know uh, about their chariots and about the, uh, about the cherubim on the side of it. We talked about how that God's covenant, God's covenant, when Moses came out of the ark, God said, I'm going to make a covenant with the fowl of the air, with the cattle of the field, the cattle, and with, uh, with the, the beast of the field, and with man. And the king of the fowl is the eagle. The king of the cattle is the ox. The king of the beast is the lion. And then man. And anywhere you find these four beasts, that's going to be a sign of God's covenant. And you see those beasts on the sides of these chariots that come in to destroy Israel. And here's... I'll just kind of reviewing this for you sometimes it's hard to understand all this there's here's a cherubim on the side of the chariot and the wheel and the wheel is the chariot wheels because that's exactly what they are they are a wheel in a wheel oops let me get back this other direction I got a got a chariot wheel here there it is this is the wheel inside of a wheel right there and the and the spokes of the war chariots were six spokes and they formed a star of David as you can see now now I'm talking about Ezekiel in Babylon he is prophesying Israel's destruction by the by the uh, War chariots of the Babylonians. We've gotten down to the ninth chapter, and I've said to you, the ninth chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 9 equals Revelation 
7. Just a quick review on Ezekiel, the ninth chapter. Ezekiel 9, God is marking His people before the great destruction comes. So he has a man with an inkhorn. It has to be some spiritual being. He's putting a a mark in that fourth verse on all of the people that mourn and weep and cry because of Israel's sin. What he's doing, the people that care about the Word of God, he's putting a mark and saying, we're not going to destroy these. That was mostly the poor that said they would remain there. And Jeremiah said he would remain with the poor. When Nebuchadnezzar gave him the choice of coming to Babylon and owning land and property, they were going to reward him for being an honest man. He said, I'll stay here with the poor. So Jeremiah's over in Israel with the poor and Ezekiel and Daniel over in Babylon waiting for the deliverance of God. Now, I want us to... There's a man marking these people, and God says, I will not pity, I will not spare people that are not mourning over their sin. Now, we kind of covered that. Let's go over to Revelation. God's going to mark his people with a seal. A seal. A signature. Seal means a signature. Uh, He's going to seal us with the Holy Spirit of promise till the day of redemption. I want us to go to Revelation 7. I can't cover everything that I've covered. If you haven't been here, you'll have to get some of the DVDs that I've done. Everything I do is in series because I'm covering one chapter after another. Now, here in the seventh chapter... Of Revelation, this is a picture of the same thing that was going on in Ezekiel 9. God's going to mark his people and say, These are the people that I'm going to save, not necessarily our bodies, but our spirits. And uh, I, I might say that this word seal is the word sphragis, S P H. R-A-G-I-S. That's the noun, S-P-H-R-A-G-I-Z-O is the verb form. G-I-Z-O. That's the verb form. It means to seal with a signature. It was an official that would, he'd wrap up a scroll, he'd stamp his seal, he had an official king's seal on his ring and he would stamp it in either hot wax or clay and he would seal something. It was against the law to open that seal. And the only one that had opened these seven seals is Christ at the last verse of that fourth chapter of Revelation. Now, let me see if I can explain this. This is a, this is going to take us all over the Bible. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. I believe these are figurative, this is figurative speech. 
You have to understand it is not literal speech. It doesn't mean literal four angels. It very well could be the four out of the fourth chapter. It could be the four beasts that stand before the throne of God. Uh, Verse 7 of chapter 4. The first was like a lion. The second was like a calf or an ox. And the third beast had the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. It could be these four as these four angels. Remember, angel is the word angelos, A-G-G-E-L-O-S. Angel is a confusing word. It's not if you translate it. It is messenger. So you could have a heavenly messenger or you can have an earthly messenger. All the preachers of the churches back in the first century were called angels because that's what they were. They were the messengers. Anytime you see angel, think messenger. They had, you had Michael, the archangel, the angel of death. You had Gabriel, the angel of announcement. And you had the preachers of the churches. I'm an angel if I'm giving you a message. You can have good angels and bad angels. A bad angel will lie to you. That would be like Kenneth Copeland and T.D. Jakes and Joyce Myers. They are bad angels. They are false teachers. They're not telling truth. Now, these four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. There's the kingdoms of the earth were called winds. Notice they're going to hold the four winds until the the people of God are sealed in their foreheads and in their hands. The reason holding the four winds of the earth is because there's going to be destruction with the four winds. In that day and time, they said they had four winds. You had a north wind, an east wind, a south wind, and a west wind because you had... I'll get to one of these maps. You had all of the, the civilized world was only surrounding the Mediterranean Sea. You had Babylon right here. And she ruled around the Mediterranean. Maybe not over here, but then she was overthrown by Persia, and Persia surrounded nearly all of the Mediterranean Sea. And then Persia was overthrown by Greece, and Alexander the Great was from northern Greece. Northern Greece was called Macedon, M-A-C-E-D-O-N. We get the word Macedonia. Macedonia. When Paul saw the Macedonian call, he was over here, just at Troas here in northern Israel. Excuse me, northern Turkey. This is called Asia Minor. He was here, and he got a he got a vision to come over here to Macedonia. This is very important for what I'm going to say. Macedonia was in the northern section of this Aegean Sea right here. That's the Aegean Sea. 
a GNC. And the sea on the other side of Greece was called the Adriatic Sea. A-D-R-A-I-T-I-C. The Adriatic Sea. And when he was get the message to come over here to Macedonia, right on the north end of that sea was when he speaks of getting money from Macedonia, right on the north end of that sea was Philippi and Thessalonica. The Thessalonians, he wrote the letter to the Thessalonians and to Philippi. So when he speaks of Macedonia, he's talking about going up here to Thessalonica and Philippi. That's very important to understand. So when he left there, he comes down here to Athens and and Corinth. Corinth, this is called, that little thing down there looks like a hand. That's called the Peloponnesus. P-O-L-L. Pala. P-E-N-E-S-U-S. Something like that. Peloponnesus. That's the little hand down here. What connects that little hand to upper Greece, they considered, they considered what connects this type of Greece is a little land bridge, like so. Well, let me move this. It was a little land bridge, and that land bridge was very important. Let me see here. Let me write it up here. This is upper Greece, like so. And... I'm just going to get a like well it would have to be further in here like so there's a little land bridge and right there at that land bridge was Corinth. And over here, east of Corinth, was Athens. Athens was like a suburb of Corinth. And Corinth was the busiest place in the world. It was nothing but rough seas around Sutton. Southern Greece was more like a hand, like like that. It it was really difficult in here. At one time, they thought about making a a canal through uh, through this land bridge to connect this sea over here, the Adriatic Sea, to this Aegean Sea over here, Aegean Sea. But it took too much work, and they didn't have the modern uh, ways of making these canals that we have. So they gave that up because all this was rough around here. So a lot of them came in here and just traveled across that area to hit the 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 sea over here. 
So they realized they couldn't, they had a hard time traveling around here because you had all kinds of rocks and stones in the sea and a ship would sink real easy. So they had to, That that's why they were going to try to make a, a passageway over here through this this land bridge. Car, that's why Corinth had all those glossa there because this was a center of world trade and travel and people come from everywhere and went through Corinth. That's the reason for when they, the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you don't have the word dialect there. You have the word glossa in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm not going to go on that right now. That's not the same thing as going on in Acts 2. Acts 2, that's a different thing completely. Now, where was I? All right. Now, what I want us to, I want us to get back to the seventh chapter of Revelation. I'm going to try to explain this to you the best I can. So he says, I, uh, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor any tree. And the four winds are going to be held. Winds have to do with armies. It has to do with Babylonian armies. God says in Jeremiah eighteen seventeen, talking to Israel, Jeremiah, the last prophet uh, to preach to Israel, I will scatter them, talking about Israel, with an east wind. God tells Israel, I'm going to scatter you with an east wind before their enemies. I will show them the back and not the face. I'm going to have them running from me, God says. So what he's saying, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come from the east and carry Israel into captivity. So Nebuchadnezzar, but it also says the armies are going to come from the north. Well, the north and the east in this situation are going to be the same because you couldn't, Nebuchadnezzar on the Euphrates River could not travel across this Arabian desert. It would be thousands of miles through a desert. Couldn't do that. The only place he could travel is where this purple is. That was, that was trees and that was regular landscape. So he had to travel up this way and come down through the north. And any time the Bible says that these armies came from the north and they came from the east... They came from the east, and they came up here north of Israel, and came down and attacked Israel from the north. Now, I've got all these, I'm going to read a lot of this another day, but the Bible says in Exodus 10:13 that the east wind will bring the locusts into Israel. The locusts, Locusts were equated with the Lord told Ezekiel, you dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words. And the scorpions were like locusts because the scorpions were false teachers and they stole the word of God and the locusts stole, stole the literal bread or the literal sustenance of God from the people. I've gone through that many times. Now let's get on down here. 
what he's talking about is marking the people before the end of time. I believe we can't be far away from that. He's talking about marking the people, and that's what was happening in Ezekiel 9. Ezekiel is telling people what's going to happen. Remember, Ezekiel is living somewhere around 596, 595. We don't know exactly. Somewhere in this neighborhood, Ezekiel is in Babylon. But he's prophesying not only the evil that they're doing in Israel, he's prophesying the destruction of Israel. He's prophesying the destruction while he's over there in 595 and 96. But the destruction doesn't come till 586 B.C. So he's telling them what's going to happen 10 years later. How does he know that? Well, he's a prophet. God's telling him what to do. i got a lot more to say about that. Now, let's keep reading. If you'll notice, God is holding back the winds of the earth until... His people are sealed. How many people are sealed by God? Only a few belong to God. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. And Jesus said, For you're not little flock. So one of these days, the last person is going to come into the kingdom. You find there in Revelation the 10th chapter the Bible says when the 7th trumpet sounds which is the last trump that the mystery of God will be finished that's when the last one comes into the fold finished is the word teleos and teleos means complete the mystery of God is the church the last one will come in when the 7th trumpet sounds and it will all be over I don't know how to describe the seven trumpets other than they go through the verses in 8, 9, and 10 of Revelation. Now let's keep reading. I saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal, the sphragis, the signature of God, just like the man had the inkhorn in the ninth chapter of Ezekiel, and he's marking all those that are repentant on their forehead and on their hand. And saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, until I have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. What does that mean? It don't mean putting a computer chip in your hand. It's just ridiculous. That is so outdated. We got so many better things than that. We got DNA. They're getting to where they can tell a man's DNA just by taking some kind of picture of you or going into your just like they do x-rays they'll come to that place but if you look at sealing it in the forehead I heard the number of them which were sealed and it goes into 144,000 
are we supposed to get some kind of seal? I believe those of us that are believers, we've already been sealed. It goes back to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, and you'll see this here. They took this, the Jews took this literally in the old world during the time of Christ. Here's what they did. You go to Deuteronomy 6. I read this last week, but this is what the Jews did. God says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. That's where God's going to write them. That's where we're going to be sealed in our heart. Well, the heart was the place of understanding and the mind was the place of understanding. To put something at the forehead means to put into the mind and to put it on your hand meant wherever you walked, the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and do it, do it only for him, not yourself. Then he says, these words which I commanded this day shall be in thine heart. He's going to write them on our hearts. Out of the abundance of heart the mouth speaks. And they shall teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and of thy gates. Now, that's where this comes from. They believe, the Jews said, well, I got to put those uh, by my where I walk. I got to put them on the door of my house. They had a, a little box they'd put on their house. They had a box, a little black box they'd put before their eyes. They'd wrap that band around their head. And they put these verses and several others. I've got the others written down here. They would put they would put these other verses along with Deuteronomy six, and they wore it on what they called their phylacteries before their eyes. That's not what God meant. Put it in your mind. That's what he's going to do when they write upon when they seal us. The scripture says in Ephesians one thirteen, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We are sealed. God's signature is the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the Holy Spirit? John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, John fifteen, twenty six, John sixteen, thirteen, first John five and six. The Spirit is the truth. This is our sealing here. Truth. Truth is what we're sealed with, so we're not marked on our forehead. It's marked in our mind. That's where we're marked. It's marked upon our hand. Whatever we find to do, we do it with all our might. We put our hand to do it. We do it all to the glory of God. We do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be doing that. Isn't that it? That's exactly it. Now, all right. So, let's look and see where we're sealed. Look over here in... 
Look over here in Hebrews, the 8th chapter. This is the sealing of God's servants. Hebrews, the 8th chapter, and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, In those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind before their eyes and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God. They shall be to me a people. Look at Hebrews 10 and verse 16. This is the covenant. When we think of covenant, think of the eagle, the ox, the lion, man. The covenant is always the same. This is the covenant that I will make with them after their days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, in their minds will I write them. The mind and the heart were the same thing. It was the place of understanding. That's what the Jews said. Now, you've got this throughout the scriptures. You look over here in Second Corinthians 3. Wherever God writes His Word, that's the truth. That's our sealing. That's His signature. Proof that we belong to God and are going to heaven is because we got God's signature upon our heart. If we, if He's written in our hearts, out of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. If it's in your heart, you say, gosh, I can't talk about the truth all the time. Even if you're a new believer, you're going to talk about it a little, aren't you? You're going to say something to somebody somewhere. You may not be able to say all these words that I say, but you'll say something, won't you? If it's in your heart, you can't get over it. Look here in Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 3. Second Corinthians 3. Look at verse 2. Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of men. Your life is being read by people. What you do is read by other people. Don't think, well, I'm too insignificant. Nobody watches me. If you ever let people know that you're a believer, they're going to be watching you from now on. For as much as you are manifested declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, like the man that had the ink horn over there in Ezekiel 9, but with the Spirit. Wait a minute, that's what we're sealed with, isn't it? But with the Spirit, a living God, not in tables of stone any longer, and Daniel, i get it right in a minute, in Deuteronomy 9, God wrote upon fleshy tables, uh, upon tables of stone. Now he writes upon fleshy tables of our heart, doesn't he? But in fleshy tables of the heart. And look down here in verse 9. There's two parts to the law. There's the letter and the spirit. The law is not done away with. Good grief. I don't know who come up with that. Somebody said... The Old Testament was done away with. You're ignorant too. 
who also hath made and able us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter of the rituals of the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The Spirit is the truth. What is the truth? I feel compelled to say this all the time to people. Truth is the word aletheis, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. That is the word truth, or aletheia, excuse me, A-L-E-T-H-I-A. The other word was of truth. This is the word truth. It's a construction of lanthano. Lanthano means to hide, conceal, When you take the alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, as a negative particle, neg part, it will say in your, neg part, it will say in your strongs, concordance. As a negative particle, it negates the word that's before it, that is, sets before, so this means not to hide anything, not to conceal. That's what it means. That's the word truth. When you're in truth, you pull the cover off. Say, here's what it means. Deal with it. And that's why people don't like us. They don't like me because I expose the Charismatics, the Pentecostals, the Baptists. I show them how they can't accept Christ when they're dead in sin. I show them how they cannot pray the sinner's prayer when they're dead in sin. You will pray to God after you start believing, but you'll believe by the will of God. Now, All right, now let's get back over here. I'm skimming the surface on this. I'm not taking as much time as I'd like to take. Let us go back over here to Revelation 7. So he talks about the number of them that's being sealed. Verse 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed. There were sealed an hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. 144 is 12 times 12,000. 12 times 12,000. Now 144,000 is a mystery to people, but it's really not. What are the 144,000? The Bible tells you explicitly what it is. It defines it by definition. Go quickly over here now, before we get into these 12,000 out of each tribe, let's look at the 14th chapter of Revelation. Chapter 14, there's 12 apostles, 12 apostles, there are 12 tribes of Israel. Twelve sons of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And there's twelve tribes. Each son had a tribe. Twelve tribes of Israel. What was the thirteenth tribe? Can somebody tell me? Judah. What? 
Levi? Huh? Levi. Levi, in a sense, would be the 13th tribe because Joseph, Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob, 11th son, and God divided Joseph into two tribes. What two tribes did he divide him into? Ephraim and Manasseh. Who was Ephraim and Manasseh? Joseph's sons. Huh? Joseph's sons. That was Joseph's two sons in Egypt. Manasseh. Now don't confuse this Manasseh with the evil Manasseh over there in Second Kings. It was a king in the lineage of Christ and he was an evil king in Second Kings, the 20th chapter. His name was Manasseh. This is the firstborn of Joseph. Ephraim was the secondborn. But Ephraim received the inheritance. And can anybody tell me what chapter of the Bible that was in? Eight. <laughs> That's where Joseph crossed, Jacob crossed his hands. Uh, Joseph was been in Egypt since he's 17, and this was 20 or 30 years later. And Joseph was unfamiliar with a lot of the things that God had spoken to Jacob. Well, Jacob brings his two, uh, Joseph brings his two sons. And the man that receives the right hand gets the blessing of the Father. And once it's given, it cannot be withdrawn. So Joseph, Jacob is sitting here and Joseph brings his two sons. He puts his right hand on his second born son, Ephraim, so he can guide him to his father's left hand and he could get the lesser blessing. He puts his left hand on the head of Manasseh, his firstborn, and leads him to Jacob's right hand, expecting Jacob to give the blessing to Manasseh. And Jacob said, I didn't think to see you, son, and now I've seen your family. Bring your sons to me that I may bless him. And Jacob brings Manasseh. Manasseh to his right hand of his father and Ephraim to his left hand. And he gets close to Jacob and Jacob does this. Wow. <laughs> that is unbelievable. The second born, the second birth receives the blessing. Just like Abel, just like all those second borns receive the blessing. And Jacob and Joseph went, Not so, my father Manasseh is my firstborn. He said, I know, son, I may be blind, but I'm not stupid. I know what I'm doing. And that's how Ephraim... So, you end up with 13 tribes. Who is the 13th apostle? Huh? I can't. Who? 
Paul. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, he said, I was one born out of due time. So he was like the 13th apostle. And Levi was never numbered with Israel. Never. So he was like, he was like a, a 13th tribe. The, the two sons of Joseph made up the extra tribe. Now, now let's go back here to the 7th chapter. Well, let's go to the 14th chapter. 144,000, 12,000 out of each tribe is going to be named. Verse 1, chapter 14, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. That has to be us. Twelve is a number of complete Israel. Twelve is a number of complete Israel. Number of complete Israel. Seven is the number of Israel refined. Seven in the Hebrew is the word Sheba. The queen of Sheba was the queen of seven. That's what it means. It's a form of Shabua, S-H-E-B-U-A-H, which is the word oath. And when you look at oath, Shabua, it will say that this means to perfect or to seven one's self. We have to be sevened. You can't just take an oath to God when you first hear the truth and say, I swear I'm going to worship God from now on. That don't mean nothing. You're going to be sevened when you add to your faith, Second Peter 1 and 5, add to your faith. These seven things starts off with virtue and knowledge and temperance. I don't even have time to go through all those. You have to go through temperance, patience, knowledge, brotherly kindness, charity, agape, walking all of his commandments. How long does it take you to do that? A lifetime. It takes you a lifetime to add to your faith and become sevened where you can say, I commit. It's like I've told the story how I was in the hospital. I thought God was about to kill me in my mid-40s. And I said, Lord, I surrender. I give up. He was sevening me at that point. And he kept sevening me for the years to come. Now, let's see who these 144,000 are. Here in, I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of waters and as the voice of great thunder. I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. What are the four beasts? They're on the throne of God. They are the eagle, the ox, the lion, and man. 
on the on the throne of God if this is the temple you have the veil here the ark of the covenant here seven candlesticks here table of showbread here and the altar of incense here they had the brazen altar out here and the brazen sea here these are all golden here and these are brass or some say copper it don't matter whatever God wants them to be now this is the veil right here so he says I heard the voice of uh, they sung as it were a new song before the throne remember I said they had this was called the throne of God all through the book of Revelation the Ark of the Covenant Ark was called the throne so anytime you see the throne of God why was it called the throne because God came out of the cloud and sat on this throne and ruled Israel from it that's what it's talking about right there and he had these beasts had one of them on each end of the of the Ark of the Covenant and the wings reached out and touched the other side like that touched the wall over here so you had them in here this is describing anytime you see the throne that's the Ark of the Covenant so he says I heard uh, they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders and no man could learn the song but the 144,000. 144 is a figurative number for the church or God's full elect family. That's what it is. Which were redeemed, which were redeemed from the earth. These are they. Notice what it says. These are they so all you have to do is find out what it's going to say these 144,000 equals they who are they let's look at it right here these are they which have not defiled with women what does that mean Go to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. He's not talking about literal defilement. Here's what he's talking about. This is what Paul is saying. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Here's what he's saying. Would to God... You would bear with me a little in my folly. I'm going to speak foolishly like men speak. And indeed bear with me, for I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, Corinth. For I would espouse you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Does that mean everybody at the church in Corinth are going to be virgins? No. No. Corinth was one of the wickedest churches in the Bible. God says you you argue with each other about who's your leader. 
you're full of argument and you're full of problems and you don't have any respect for each other. So the chaste virgin would be the church where God has cleansed our hearts. Now let's look back over here. Having been defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow. Boy. Follow Akulatheo. Is that us? A-K-O-U-L-A-T-H-E-O. The word follow, every time you find it, is this word. A-K-O-U-L-A-T-H-E-O. Akulatheo means to be in the same way with. That's that's who the 144,000. Are we in the way with Christ? The Hodos. Are we in that way? Straight is the gate. You know what gets me? The reason these people can't find out who the 144,000 are, they don't define any words. Straight is the gate. And narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few there be that find it. Narrow is the word T-H-L-I-B-O. Notice how we keep coming across these same words. You think God's going to change from one book to the other? Change his message? No. Revelation in this chapter, way is the same word as in Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Straight is the gate, and now is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. Because wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. And there's only two ways. There's the narrow way. Narrow is the form of the word thelipsis. And thelipsis is the noun form of the... It is the noun form of the verb thelibo, and it is the word tribulation. So let me read it this this way. It's the word tribulation. So let me read this again. These are they which are in the tribulation way. They follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Isn't that us? Is that any doubt what the 144,000 is? It's the church. It's the 12. These were redeemed agorazo. It's just amazing to me. How many people? I think these 144,000 or 144,000 Jews that get saved during the tribulation. You're ignorant. I don't care if it's John MacArthur that says that. That's dumb. It don't matter who says it. Doesn't this tell you who it is? These are they. These are they. These are the ones that they're chaste virgins. They follow the Lamb. They are the redeemed, the agorazo. Agora. 
is the word marketplace. Where they sold the slaves was in the marketplace. They redeemed them, agarazzo, in the market. We've been put out there for sale and God has bought us. He said, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. We're bought with the blood of Christ. And we are the 144,000. And then he says, being the first fruits unto God to the Lamb. The 144,000 are the first fruits. Look at James. You can't let one of these verses stand alone. Look at James 1.18. James 1. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Are we the first fruits? I guess we are. Are we the redeemed? Agarazzo, are we the 144,000? Do we follow Christ in the narrow tribulation way? That's us. Look over here in John 16, or John 6. I'll come back to this in a minute. John 6. I just want to show you that 12 is the number of the church. John 6. Jesus has a large crowd following him and he's feeding them. It takes a penny, a denarius, Denarius is the word penny. It's not our word penny. There were no pennies in the first century. And he's got this large crowd following him. And they saw his miracles in verse 2 of John 6, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up, verse 3, up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover... A feast of the Jews was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that we may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew that, Philip knew that Jesus would do something to prove he was God. And Philip answered him, We have two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for all these people. We have enough to feed 200 people. We got several thousand here. A penny would, a denarius would feed a man for one day. It would feed a poor man three meals in a day. It would feed a rich man one meal a day. Because the rich would eat the wheat and the poor would eat the barley or the oatmeal. The oats, anyway. So, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men to sit down. 
Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. He had five loaves and two fishes. There were 5,000, and they never counted the women and children. There were about probably in the neighborhood of 20,000. That's the guess of best most scholars. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them that were set down, and likewise the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so nothing will be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets, twelve baskets, with the fragments of five barter loaves, which remained over and above them that had eaten. Twelve baskets of bread, and what are we? We being many are one bread and one body. That's us. We're the bread. In connection with this, we go later in the chapter, it connects directly to it, we looked at chapter at verse 39. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. It says the same thing, so that none would be lost when they take up twelve baskets full. You think that is some accident? God had... Tw- Jesus multiplied it, knew exactly how many people would eat, and then he had 12 baskets of bread left over out of five loaves and two fishes. They should lose nothing, but should raise him up at the last day. And he said in verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And then in verse 40, This is the will of him that sent me, that if everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may over may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now that's the twelve. That's the twelve baskets of bread, and we're the bread in verse Corinthians ten, seventeen. We being many are one bread and one body. And the body's the church, the wife, the bride of Christ. This is all very figurative speech now let's go back over here to Revelation 7 I could go into the 7 I told a guy about the Lord feeding 5,000 with 5 loaves and 2 fishes he said he fed he fed 4,000 well I know that but that's in the 8th chapter of Mark in the 8th chapter of Mark he fed 4,000 with seven loaves of broken bread. Seven has the idea of being broken because we said earlier seven means to take an oath to God and seven oneself. So he fed 4,000 with seven loaves of broken bread. Seven and four always together from one end of the Bible to the other. God told Israel in Leviticus 26... He said, I'll punish you seven times for your sin. 
And he said, he said that four times. And he said, here's how I'll punish you with the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. That's what he said, seven and four. Eleven and two always go together. Don't even have time to go into that. That takes me half a day to go through the eleven and two. Do I believe this Bible is a mathematical equation? Absolutely. Everything over here equals everything over here. This is spiritual. This is the shadow over here. The law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image which is the spiritual cannot with these sacrifices take away sin. In Hebrews 10 and 1. Now, let's go back over here. Now I'm fixing to get on some people's toes. <laughs> if you want to leave, you better leave now. If I have time to get to it. Uh, how much time do I have, Mike? 24. 24. I don't know how much I can get into this. All right. Now let's go back to Revelation 7. Revelation 7. Revelation 7. And he says, uh, read 4 again. I heard the number of them which were sealed in 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah, which is the fourth son of Jacob, uh, Judah was, out of Judah would come the king, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor law given between his feet, till Shiloh come. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed, 12,000. Jim, are you going to bore us with reading this? Yeah. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephilim were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh, the second-born son of Joseph, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi... Whoa! Stop! Stop! Levi was never numbered with the rest of Israel. What's he doing here? Uh, this gets you into the tithe. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm not sorry. <laughs> of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. This is a very improper numbering for literal Israel. Levi was never numbered. He was the third son of Jacob. And he had the priesthood and you cannot find Levi anywhere over here in this map of the possession of Israel. He's not there. Where is he? Huh? He's all over Israel because he didn't have any possession. When Joshua 
measures out these men. You had Levites and Naphtali, Levites and Manasseh, Levites and Ephraim, Levites and Dan, Levites and Benjamin. They were all over the land to perform whatever duties they needed to perform for the people. What did they get to take care of them? These tribes had to give a certain amount of land that the Levites, how how did they make up the 12th tribe? Huh? How did they make up the 12th tribe? Manasseh and Ephraim. Huh? Oh, thank you. That was real simple. I said that earlier, didn't I? Manasseh and Ephraim. That's the 12 tribes. And Levi was never numbered with the rest of Israel. Just like Paul was one born of due time, he wasn't numbered with the apostles. He did kill some of them. He was always there to get ready, holding the coats of the men that stoned Stephen in the 8th chapter of Acts. Oh, how do you know that he was never numbered? Let's go to the book of Numbers, okay? Book of Numbers. The book of Numbers is one of the most interesting books of the Old Testament. Let me tell you why. The reason it's interesting as it is was because Numbers is the book Numbers is the book. Let me erase this. I can come back and put it on the board again if I need to. All right. Numbers. Let me get a map of it on the board over here. When they came to the wilderness, they got to Mount Sinai after a trip of from the top of they leave Egypt. Well, that's not a good map there. Alright. Well, let me no, let me get a map of the uh Oh, here we go. This is, they leave Egypt, come across the Red Sea. They're going down to Mount Sinai. When they leave Sinai, they come up to Kadesh Barnea. And Moses tells the military men, I want you to go over here to the land of Anak. If you'll notice, here you've got Gaza, Ashkelon. These are cities of the Philistines. land of Anak was the same thing as the land of the Philistines. It was a name for them a thousand years earlier. So it was the most ancient name in the Bible we have for the Philistine people. When you've got the 
when you've got the uh, well I don't want to get away from it when you got the Philistine people you've got that's just southeast of Israel well, this is the land of the Philistines on the southwestern end of Israel that's the same thing that we call the Gaza Strip. When they declared Israel a nation in May of 1948, the, the Arab people had two places to go, either to the Gaza Strip or the west bank of the Jordan River. That's why they've taken back the west bank and they're having all those fights over there. Well, when they get up here to Kadesh or Kadesh Barnea Moses tells the fighting men you go into the land of Anak they had the Anakims there N-A-K-I-M-S and they were real tall people Anakims well he tells the military men you go in there and spy out that land well, they go in there and spy the land out, and when they come back, they tell Moses, these people are too big, we can't beat them. They're too, they're gigantic men. We saw them carrying grapes on a pole, one on one end of the pole, the other on the other end of the pole, and they were huge grapes. How can we fight something like these men? And what's amazing, at Kadesh, they murmur against God, and they have forgotten that God conquered the most powerful army in the world just a month or two before that when they came out of Egypt. God drowned Pharaoh and his armies. He got them down into the bottom of the Red Sea in the 14th chapter of Exodus. And the Bible says God pulled the wheels off their chariots. said, now you drive against my people. If you got God fighting for you, so because they murmured against God, I don't know why I flipped that away, because they murmured against God, he said, I'm going to give you a year for every day that you were in there spying out. Every man, 20 years old and older, and older, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because you were in the land 40 days spying out the land a year for a day till I kill off everybody all the men from 20 years old and upward so when they get to when they get over here just north of Moab about to cross just above the Dead Sea God has killed off all the males that were 20 years old and older as of Kadesh. And that Kadesh was just a little ways into the wilderness. So they got 40 years to kill off all that unbelief. God is going to take whatever time he needs to kill unbelief in our lives. Now, let's look over here in Numbers, the first chapter. I said, Levi was never numbered. He is numbering the tribes of Israel. In he starts off earlier in Numbers. 
Verse 19, As the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. And the children of Reuben, Israel's elders, he numbered them. 20 years old and upward. Verse 21, They were numbered of the tribe of Reuben. I'm not going to go through the numbers. Of the children of Simeon in verse 22. Of the children of Gad in verse 24. Of the children of Judah in verse 26. Of the children of Issachar in verse 28. Zebulun in verse 30. Of Joseph, namely by the children of Ephraim in verse 32. Children of Manasseh in verse 34. Children of Benjamin in verse 36. Children of Dan in verse 38. Children of Asher in 40. Children of Naphtali in 42. In verse 44. These are those that were numbered, which which Moses and Aaron numbered. And the princes of Israel being twelve men, each one was for for the house of his father. So all these were numbered of the children of Israel by the house of their fathers from twenty years old and upward. All that were able to go forth to war in Israel, all even they were numbered were six hundred thousand and three hundred and 550 and the Levites after their tribe of their fathers were not numbered among them for the Lord had spoken unto Moses saying only thou shalt not number the tribe of Levi neither take the sum of them among the children of Israel for they shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony over all the vessels thereof and over all things that they belong to and they shall bear the tabernacle the third born of Moses out of this will come the Levitical law will come Leviticus these are the priests of God what does it have to do with the New Testament we'll see and all the vessels thereof and they shall minister unto it and shall encamp round about the tabernacle Let's read the rest of this. And when the tabernacle setteth forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle shall be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. You get around the temple. I have said, you've heard me say this several times. Let's go over here to the temple. And the precincts of the temple... Oh, there it is. These can only be Levites in here. Anybody gets within throwing distance of the temple will die. You have to be a Levite. To be a high priest, you had to be a son of Aaron, and he was a Levite. Don't have time to go there right now. And he says, And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents every man by his own camp and every man by his own standard throughout their hosts. But the Levites shall pitch round about the tabernacle of the testimony. There shall be no wrath upon the congregation of the children of Israel and the Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of testimony. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. You got any place else that shows us that the Levites weren't numbered? Look at Numbers twenty six sixty two. We need two witnesses this 
don't we? Numbers 26, 62. Numbers is interesting. I was going to tell you a while ago, the reason it's interesting, the book of Numbers, I'll go away from here for a minute. The book of Numbers is about from the time they left Mount Sinai they're 40 years in the wilderness till they get up here just north of the Dead Sea to enter into Canaan. Numbers are about all their adventures in the wilderness and all that they were confronted with, all their enemies, everything that happened uh, while they were in the wilderness is in the book of Numbers. Numbers is not some boring book about Numbers. It's about the adventures in the wilderness. And it was adventures, all right. Now look here in 26, what did I say? Huh? 62. 62, yeah, okay. It speaks of Nadab and Abihu in verse 60 unto Aaron was born Nadab Abihu Eleazar and Ithamar and Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before God and that left Eleazar and Ithamar out of Eleazar and Ithamar came 24 families and you're going to find that in 1st Chronicles the 24th chapter 24. And you're going to find 24 elders in Revelation, the fourth chapter. It's talking about the 24 priests, the high priests of God, when they cast their crowns, because they had gold crowns on their head that said holiness to the Lord. Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before the Lord. And these that were numbered of them were twenty and three thousand, all males from a month old and upward, for they were not numbered among the children of Israel. Why? They were the priests. They were the preachers. They spent a hundred percent of their time. Let's go back to the eighteenth chapter of eighteenth chapter of Numbers. This chapter tells you the reason that they were not numbered. They were taking care of the church. And this same thing that they received here is to go to the preacher according to the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Not to increase the preacher's pay so we can stay on TV in a lot of cities. And if you're out there, you wonder where you're supposed to give your money. Let me give you a verse over here in we never ask for money we never pass a plate but I'm preaching on the tithe when I get to the Levites I'm not going to have time to go through this but in Galatians the 6th chapter Galatians 6 do I believe in the tithe yes 
I tithe, Mary tithes. I don't ask her what she gives. She don't ask me what I give. But we tithe. Without it, we wouldn't be on TV in 75 towns and cities. If you're out there and you don't know where to give your tithe, I'll tell you exactly where. Here in Galatians, the sixth chapter. I'm going to go through these verses that people think they mean just be a cheerful giver. That has nothing to do with the tithe. Nothing. All right. Sixth chapter of Galatians, verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate. Communicate is the word koinoneo. C-O-I-N-O-N-E-O. Or K-O-I-N. N-E-O. Kononeo comes from the word kononia. K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Kononia is the word fellowship. It's the word communion. It's the word partaker. It's the word partaker. Here's who you give to. I've had people come and say, well, if you'll not give it to my church, not if they're not teaching you truth. If they're lying and you give to them, you're supporting a lie. That's what you're doing. Let him communicate in him that teacheth in all good things. You're supposed to give your tithe to whoever is teaching you. If I'm teaching you, it needs to come here. We're not going to increase my income. We're going to go on more TV stations. Pay more bills. We give away approximately $2,500 a month in, in packaging, postage, handling, and 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 uh, DVDs, approximately twenty five hundred every month. I got to write checks out to Dave and to Mike, or they charge it on the ministry credit card. They charge so many things. I don't even know what they're doing half the time. I have to ask them what's going on. Mike says we need this piece of equipment. I say, do we really need it? He says yes. I say order it. It may be five thousand dollars. These cameras are not free. Did you think they were? Did you think these lights are free? Sometimes our light bill will run 300 350 a month here. We've got 10000 plus every month that goes to the... Uh, pay of the people that are here it's it's our people that work for the ministry do you think that's free are you enjoying this for free that you don't give to it I don't even preach on the tithe but I can't keep from preaching on it when I hit this point here do I have any time Mike one minute, one minute. I can't get into this
It's because what went... I'll read this one verse in verse 7, chapter 18 of Numbers. Therefore thou and thy sons, talking to Aaron, with thee shall keep the priest's office for everything of the altar within the veil, and ye shall serve, and have I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of a gift and the stranger that cometh nigh. In this chapter, it says the priest gets the tenth, gets the tithe, in the place of not owning any land, just taking care of the ministry. And they were all over the land. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, that whatever went to those that worked around the altar goes to the preacher now. Whether you like it or not, the tithe is still in effect. There was no ritual with the tithe. The only thing that was nailed to the cross with Christ was the letter of the law, the rituals. There was none with the... I'm going to come back and, and finish this up next week. I'm out of time. And the reason the Levites weren't numbered, they were the priesthood. And I'm not numbered, and neither is this ministry. The people with the ministry are not numbered. We've got five people that work hard. You try to call Mike nearly every day. He's up here, back there, making DVDs for TV stations all over the country. You nearly catch him here every day. Dave is constantly at the house calling me, saying, I'm sending you a list. I gave him about 10 checks a while ago. He says, can you bring them Sunday morning? I hand him a little envelope with 10 checks. Some of them are 250, some are 275, some are smaller. It was about, I don't know, $1,000 or $1,200 worth of checks this morning. Just handed it to him, and he goes and mails these out. Takes a lot of money to keep us going. And we're always sitting down. Me and Tom and Dave sat down the other day. Is there any way we can get this word out more than we are? I told him, I said, if we could just take some of our catchphrases like, like God does not love everybody, predestination is true, Christmas is pagan, and just stick that out there on blogs or wherever you could put it on the internet, we wouldn't have to be paying some astronomical amount. Anybody that wants to volunteer to do that, we're more than welcome you to be on board. We can't put you on a salary now, but at least maybe you, any of you that know how to do something along that line. It takes a lot to keep doing this. If we come into $10 million, I'm not going to raise my salary any. We're going to go on more TV stations. And probably the thing that we get more calls on anything else is on the Internet. We get all kinds of emails and people. This is My whole desire is get this message to as many of the world as we can because God has a family out there. And all we're looking for is sheep. We're not looking for goats.
Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for truth. Help us, God, to keep this ministry going. You keep it going. You started it. You'll make it go until you want it to stop. Thank you for truth. Fight our battles for us. Many people want to stop us and fight us. Lord, convert them or or do away with them, one of the two. Do with them what you want. We'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. I felt bad when I started, but I feel better now. <laughs> I always feel better when I get started. Get your blood Yeah. Hey, Phil. Let me go say bye to this fella. What you doing? I'll get you some gum in just a minute. Hey, Phil. Come back see us, okay? Well, come back I, see I us, okay? It, huh? A lot of education if you come here. Got a little sleep in there, but that's my fault. <laughs> I didn't sleep a whole lot. We'll just come back and see us, okay? Uh, I will. Thank you. It's good to see you. I, I just came out to see Phil before he left. <laughs>